If you want to discover the secrets of what elite entrepreneurs and marketers did to achieve the next level of success, then this channel is definitely for you. Hey, I'm Daniel Das and I'm the coach and founder of Voice Warriors and I just want to thank you for clicking on this video. Voice Warriors Radio is where we interview these experts about their secret framework, strategies, tips and how we can implement it right away in our lives and business. So stay tuned till the end of this video because I have an awesome gift that I would like to give to you. Enjoy and I'll see you in a bit. It teaches everyday people to become wealthy often using skills they already have. So without further ado, let us put our virtual hands together and let us welcome the man, the myth, the legend, Mr. Myron Golden. Thank you, Daniel. Appreciate that, man. How are you? I'm good, Myron. How are you? I am utterly fantastic, thanks. I'm Better now that I'm talking to you. Awesome. Let's dive right into it. Let's could do you it. Just tell, could you just tell us a little bit about yourself in terms of background, uh, education, and your experience in publishing? Yeah, so um, I got started, well, my own personal history, I'm the second of seven brothers. So I've got one older brother, five younger brothers, and um, we were born to hardworking poor parents who taught us how to work hard, but didn't know how money worked and didn't teach us how to get money to work hard for us. Um, I'm going to fast forward. Um, I did really well in school all the way through the third grade. And from the fourth grade on through, it was downhill the rest of the way. And um, But I got started as an entrepreneur in 1985, selling financial services, insurance, and investments. And I was terrible at sales. I, and when I say terrible, I don't mean kind of terrible. I mean like extremely terrible. I was one of the worst salespeople in the history of the world. And it took me 18 months to make my first sale. So um, I remember my first commission check like it was yesterday. And we, my wife and I, we were really we were really jacked out of our minds about it because uh, we made this, we got this, we got our commission, right? And it was $125.66. And um, when I think about that, that was like the genesis of all of this. And I learned some financial principles. I learned, you know, a, princ- a principle called pay yourself first. I learned a principle called the rule of 72. And so I got some financial literacy even before I gained any business acumen. And um, then I did some network marketing stuff and made some money in that. And then just decided one day that I was good enough at sales because people kept asking me, how do you do this? How do you do this? And I just decided to start teaching other people how I sell. And so that was where, um, and like, I got started in business in 1985. My first six-figure year was 1999. So that was a 14-year time period. Uh, but we didn't have the internet. We didn't have apps. We didn't have webinars. We didn't have any of the stuff everybody has access to now. All we had was like books and seminars, right? And so we'd find somebody who knew how to do the thing that we desired to do. And we'd, we'd go and we'd pay to come listen to them. And then they'd teach us. And then we'd go attempt to implement. And there was just a long gestation period between seed time and harvest time. And um, I started my training company in 2003. And by 2005, um, we had our first seven-figure year. Because I really look up to you and I'm really thankful for what you do, especially on Facebook for the Bible success secrets. Sure. Uh, when was the first time actually you started preaching, preaching the word of God? Um, I, when I was 17. Um, oh. So yeah, and that was to a bunch of um, elementary school children on a, on a Sunday school bus. So that's where I got started preaching the word of God. And, um, 
and started studying it. Well, I started reading the Bible when I was 16, 17 years old, right before my 17th birthday. And the Bible is actually the first book that I ever read other than a comic book or a karate book. And, um, and it kind of blew me away because I had been going to church my whole life. And when I started reading the Bible, I started seeing all this practical stuff that I could do to make my life better. I was like, wow, why don't they talk about this stuff? And so I just found it fascinating that the Bible is so practical. And but people look at it as a religious book, but it's not a religious book. And when I say it's not a religious book, I mean, it's not a religious book at all. Like there are religious books out there. Like I know that, you know, um, they're just there are a bunch of religious books out there. And I won't start naming them because I won't be able to name them all. But the Bible is not a religious book. The Bible is a book about a king, a kingdom, a royal family and the culturalization of a foreign land. And that foreign land is called Earth. And the purpose of the Bible is to expand the kingdom of heaven to the expansion of Earth. And so Man. and we can do that in a practical way, not a religious sense. A king is not a religious figure. A king is a governmental figure. And so so that's that's how I got started in that on that whole journey. And um, and the principles that I teach people in business come directly from the Bible. So that's that's really awesome. That's what really attracted me to you because mm. all all along this uh, past many years, I, I'm 34 right now. So the past 34 years, I've been like wondering how can I put the Bible into the business? How can I bring out the principles? And you popped up <laughs> because of Rasta Brunson. Yeah, yes. so I yes. I really appreciate Rasta Brunson for have, uh, I mean having his final hacking live, and you were there as well presenting it. And yeah, it's been an awesome journey. So with the yeah. principles, I would like to continue on. Does the Bible explain on how, uh, how we can let our voice be heard and how should we do it? So does the Bible explain how we can let our voice be heard and how can we do it? Um, mm -hmm. I, think it I think it does. Um, I, I, I think, I think even from, a, from a bigger picture, like the purpose of my life, the purpose of my life is to really let God's voice be heard through my life and through my words. Um, how do I let my voice be heard? I think the most important way, and this is going to sound kind of soupy and kind of uh, woo-woo, but I think the most, um, uh, one of the most powerful ways we can let our voices be heard is let our voice be a voice of encouragement to every single human being we talk to. Um, one of the scriptures that, that I endeavor to live by is when the scripture says let your speech be with grace season with salt that it may minister grace unto the hearer now the word grace means a gift right so let your words be with a gift and season with salt that they may minister a gift or serve a gift to the hearer so if the words that i speak to somebody are something other than the gift than a gift then i'm not speaking the words that i should be speaking um, everybody, I, I, there's a saying that I used to hear on the radio a long time ago, back in the eighties, this preacher used to come on the radio and every time he got ready to end his broadcast, he would say, and remember, be good to everybody because everybody's having a tough time. And, and, and I don't know that everybody's having a tough time, but I do know that we should be good to everybody. Right. And I believe that, I believe that, you know, a kind word is, is a beautiful thing. And if we can be kind to other human beings, I mean, it's it's something that doesn't cost us anything, but it can produce for us like returns that are unmeasure and un, uh, immeasurable. I said, almost said unmeasurable. I'm like, that's not a word. Immeasurable. So, so yeah. So I, I think that's one of the things that we have to do, and 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 I think one of the most important things that we can do. Um, it's it's like people say to me, Myron, you make the Bible so relevant to 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 business, 
And I think to myself, that's like me saying I make water wet. Water's already wet. The Bible's already relevant to business. Uh, you make it so simple to understand that it's not possible for me to make the Bible. It's like saying I make air breathable. Air's already breathable. The Bible's already easy to understand. The thing that I do is I just don't complicate it. I don't add any complicated minutia in to gum it up. And I don't add any religion in to gum it up. I just let it say what it says and let it be what it is. Right. And uh, yes. so, so that's, that's, that's uh, how can we let our voice be heard? If here's, what's really fascinating. Our voice can be amplified. Our voice can be amplified by our wisdom and our wealth. And I know a lot of people like, like, what, what do you mean? What does that mean? I believe that getting our relationship right with God, making sure we're in right relationship with God is the most important thing. Making sure we're in right relationship with other people is one of the most important things. And making sure we're in right relationship with money is one of the most important things we can do. And, and it's one of the most important things you've got to get right in your life is the, is your money game. And, and a lot of, what, is, what, what are you talking about? Well, you think about this. If you think about the fact that, there's a principle in the scripture. There's a principle of, of Bible study to come to an accurate understanding of what the Bible is actually teaching. There, there are some principles that you have to apply so that you don't create a false doctrine, right? And so um, you have to apply the law of context. What does that mean? That means I have to know who's talking, who they're talking to, what they're talking about, um, when were they speaking, what were the circumstances surrounding being was spoken, what comes before these verses, what comes after these verses. And it has to, it, what my understanding of this small passage of scripture, these five verses, let's say, it has to be in context with all of those things I just named and all the verses that came before it and all the verses that come after it, not just in that passage, but in the entire Bible. If, if something that I conclude that the Bible is saying contradicts something else that the Bible has said, I've misunderstood it. Right. The problem is the Bible contradicts itself. No, your misunderstanding of the Bible contradicts the Bible. And so what's interesting is the law of context, as my daughter often says, it can never say what it never said and it can never mean what it's never meant. Right. So that's one context. The second one is the law of definitions. If I don't understand the words in the passage, I can't understand what the passage means. It's impossible. If I said to you, never promulgate your esoteric cogitations or articulate your superficial sentimentalities with amicable and philosophical and psychological observations to be aware of platitudinous ponderosities and let your extemporaneous verbal evaporations demonstrate a clarified conciseness with no compact um, garrulity or jejune bafflement, you'd say, well, what does that mean? If you don't know what any of those words mean, that sentence doesn't mean anything, right? But basically that sentence means say what you mean and don't use big words. Well, why don't I just say that? Right. And so so I've got to know what the words mean in order for me to know what the word means. And so that's the second law. But the third law is one of the one of my favorite principles in Scripture. It's called the law of first mention. And that is however God mentions something the first time he mentions it in the Scripture, that's his original design for that thing. And so wealth, abundance, gold. Gold is the physical substance that represents the concept, the spiritual concept of wealth, because wealth is a spiritual concept. Um, abundance is a spiritual concept. Money is a spiritual concept. But that's a I don't even have time to go into all of that. But I'll just say w- wealth is um, a spiritual concept. And gold is the substance that universally around the world represents wealth and always has. Hmm. So my question about the law of first mention is how many times what's the first time? What's the first thing God says about gold? What's the first thing God says about abundance? What's the first thing God says about riches? 
who is the first person God made rich? Like, let me. So when I first start studying that, okay, let's take the first book in the Bible. How many times is gold mentioned in the first book in the Bible? Is that a good question? Well, here's here's an answer. How cool is this? It's mentioned eight times. That's pretty phenomenal. Why is that phenomenal? Because every number has significance. One is the number of unity. Two is the number of separation. Three is the number of God. Four is the number of the earth. Why is four the number of the earth? There are four directions on the earth, north, east, south, and west. There are four seasons, winter, spring, summer, and fall. Um, there are four, um, there, they call it the four corners of the earth, the four winds of the earth. Four is the number of the earth. Five is the number of grace. I have five fingers on my hand with which I give a gift. Five fingers on my hand with which I receive a gift. Six is the number of man, but also the number of falsehood. Seven is the number of completion. There are seven days in a week, seven colors in a rainbow. Um, there are seven notes in a musical scale. So seven is the number of completion. But eight is the number of abundance, infinity, eternity, and the new beginning. In fact, if you take an eight, turn it on its side, it is the symbol for infinity, yes. right? Well, gold is mentioned in the book of Genesis exactly eight times. Isn't it interesting that the substance that represents abundance is mentioned in the first book in the Bible exactly eight times? Well, how about this? The first time it's mentioned, the first time it's mentioned is in Genesis chapter 2, verse 11 and 12. It says there, there's gold in that land, and the gold of that land is good. Now, here's what's cool. It says the gold of that land is good. Well, guess what? The word good as an adjective is God used seven times in Genesis chapter 1. He used the word good seven times, and God said, and it was so, and God saw that it was good. So God used the word good seven times in the book of Genesis, I mean, in Genesis chapter 1, to describe what he had made. The eighth time he used the word good was in Genesis 2, 11 and 12, and he, when he was talking about gold. Wow. When he said there's gold in that land, and the gold of that land is good. So some people will say, why, am I, why, why did I go into that big dissertation? Some people will say that, well, that, um, money is inherently evil. Other people say money's not inherently evil. It's neutral. It's neither good nor bad. It just makes you more of what you already are. I would say that money is inherently good, even though some people use it for bad. Wealth is inherently good, even though some people use it for bad. In fact, it's really interesting. Eight times, eight times gold is mentioned in the book of Genesis every single time. Every single time gold is mentioned in the book of Genesis, it is always mentioned in conjunction with God's people. I want you to wrap your mind around that, which tells me I know for a fact the reason God put wealth, abundance, and gold on the earth is for his people. So I know as a child of God through faith in Christ Jesus, I know that abundance is my birthright. Wealth is my birthright. I don't have to feel bad about it. I don't have to apologize for it. I don't have to, I don't have to whisper about it. I don't have to be apologetic for it. I just, it is what it is. And the first person the scripture tells us was rich. In fact, the second time the word gold is mentioned, first time it's mentioned, it's mentioned as providence for God's people. The word providence means to provide in advance. So God put gold in the Garden of Eden before he put the people in the Garden of Eden, even though there are only two people, they're married to each other. There's nothing for sale. There's nothing to buy. There are no stores, but yet he put gold there. Hmm. Why would you put gold in a place where gold is not necessary? Because God wanted us as human beings later on to find out that gold in abundance and wealth is natural in the environment for the children of a king. Awesome. And so awesome. the first time it's mentioned is mentioned as providence for God's people. The second time it's mentioned is mentioned as a possession by God's people. In Genesis chapter 13, verse 2, it says, And Abram was very rich in cattle and silver and gold. The very first person the scripture tells us was rich was Abram. 
or Abraham. He was the first rich person in the mentioned in scripture. Okay, so Abram's rich. That's interesting. Um, the next time it's mentioned, it's mentioned as proof that you are God's people. When Abram sent his servant Eleazar to go find a wife for his son Isaac, and when he did, he went and he found um, Rebecca. And he, when he found Rebecca, he gave her brothers and her mother gifts of gold. He said, "Oh, my father." He said, "He said my uh, my my master is wealthy, and he's given all of his wealth to his son." And oh, um, and to prove it, here here's some gifts, and the wife. And the, and the son that he has, that my master had, that, my, that God gave him in his old age, he gave him all his wealth. And that's who I'm looking for a wife for. And when, and when Rebecca's parents said, Rebecca, don't you want to just stay here for another week? And she said, no, mama, I got to go. I got a rich husband waiting for me, right? And so I, I just, it, it's, it's so interesting how the truth about wealth has been so perverted that people, good people, Satan, here's, here's what I'm going to say. I'll say this. Satan knows the only way he can keep wealth out of the hands of God's people is to make them despise it so they don't desire it in the first place. Because once we set our mind to it, he knows he can't stop us from having it because it is our birthright. Anyway, that's that's a long rant. Come on now. Come on now. (laughs) Don't stop. That's a long rant. (laughs) That's totally awesome, man. I just love it when you go on your rant and you just don't stop. That's awesome. (laughs) Thank you, man. Thank you, sir. All right. Absolutely. So, so what what roadblocks or fears did you face earlier on, and how did you overcome them? Actually, when it comes to publishing. So, what roadblocks or fears? So, mm. so, so, it's interesting. So, the initial roadblock, the biggest roadblock that I had to overcome, um, and this biggest roadblock anybody watching or listening this right now has to overcome. The biggest roadblock is what uh, Daniel Priestley. I just finished one of his books another one of his books the day before yesterday. Um, I'm kind of on a Daniel Priestley deep dive right now because he wrote uh, um, Key Person of Influence and he wrote um, Oversubscribe and 24 Assets. And he's got one other one that I haven't, I'm in, I'm in 24 Assets right now. But um, he, one of the things he talked about in Key Person of Influence that I thought was one of the most in, amazing things he ever I, I've ever heard is the biggest problem most entrepreneurs have is um, um, the ILR. They suffer from ILR. You say, what's ILR? The illusion of limited resources. That was my biggest roadblock. See, people say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to do X, Y, Z as soon as I can. As soon as I have enough money, I'm going to change my life. As soon as I have enough money, I'm going to invest in my business. As soon as I have my, enough money, I'm going to hire a coach. See, your belief in limited, in, your belief in limited resources is the only thing that's stopping you. And, and I've often said... I've often said that expectation is the human being's greatest superpower, right? And um, it's really fascinating that expectation is a superpower that if you do not know how to use it, then people who do know how to use it will manipulate you to use your own superpower against yourself. So Christ said, he said, if you continue in my words, then are you my disciples or my Talmudim, my students indeed, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall truth make you free. free. Yes. Make you free. Not set you free. Make you free. Here's why this is important. When the truth makes you free, that means that when you know the truth. Know, that means you perceive it, right? That you know it. It's in your head. You perceive it, right? Number two, you have passion. It's in your heart for the truth. Then three, you will produce 
that production comes out of your hands. So you have the you have the perception in your head and the passion in your heart. You'll have the production in your hands. And so but if you don't have the perception, you can't have the passion. If you don't have the passion, you can't have the production. And so so the biggest roadblock everybody listening to me has is you ex, you are better like if you have something missing in your life like if there's some if there is a if there is lack in your life I promise you it existed in your expectation before it existed in your experience okay. because lack has to it has to exist exist first in your expectation before it can exist in your experience. And so most people believe. So I'll have coaching clients and they'll come to me and they'll say, they'll say, but I I, I don't know how to do XYZ and I or I can't do XYZ. Well, you're you're using I can't, your belief in the fact that you can't, which is not a fact, your belief in the illusion that you can't is the thing that's stopping you. The thing you think is stopping you is not stopping you. The thing you think is stopping you is just causing you to use your belief to stop. So what was my biggest roadblock? My biggest roadblock was the, illu the illusion of limited resources. There are no limited resources. In fact, the very first temptation in the history of the world was the temptation to focus on lack. That was the first temptation in the history of the world. What do I mean by that? Well, if you, if you look at the Garden of Eden, if you look at the Garden of Eden, the word garden means enclosure. So we know that in the Garden, the garden of Eden had a wall around it. How do we know the Garden of Eden had a wall around it? Because it says when God put Adam and Eve out of the Garden of Eden, it's, he put an angel by the gate with a flaming sword. Well, if you got a gate, a gate out in the middle of a pasture doesn't do anything. You just walk around it. A gate has to be in a fence. It has to be on an enclosure, right? It, it separates the inside from the outside. Gates only do th two things, keep stuff out or keep stuff in, right? So, yep. so the Garden of Eden was an enclosure. And the scripture says, the scripture says that um, in the Garden of Eden, God said to Adam and Eve, of every tree of the garden, oh, that's good, of every tree of the garden, these are trees, of every tree of the garden, thou mayest freely eat. And we know they had apple trees probably and orange trees and plum trees and peach trees and pomegranate trees and avocado trees and olive trees and walnut trees and um, almond trees and trees and trees and more trees and more trees and mango trees and banana trees and lemon trees and trees and trees and more 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 trees. Come on out. Right smack dab in the middle, right smack dab in the middle, there was a tree called the tree of knowledge of good and evil. How do we know it was in the middle? Well, because the Lord God commanded the man saying, of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat. But of the tree that's in the midst of the garden, in the middle of the garden, thou shalt not eat of it. For the day thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. So I want you to I want you to imagine or see that Adam and Eve, Adam and Eve are down here, you know, doing their Adam and Eve thing. They got all this food for free. All of this is free. So this is Adam and Eve. They're in the Garden of Eden. They have all of this abundance all around them. They're surrounded by abundance. Satan comes to Eve and says, hey, yeah. now the serpent was more subtle. than the beast of the field, which the Lord God had made, he said unto the woman, yea, if God said, ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. Well, Let's look at what God actually said. God said, the Lord God commanded the man saying, of every tree of the garden, thou mayest freely eat. Hmm. Every and freely. Are those abundance words or lack words, Daniel? Abundance. Abundance. Freely, These, are abundance. These are big time abundance words. Every freely of every tree of the garden, thou mayest freely eat. But of the tree, the, the, is that an abundance word or a lack word? It's only one. Yeah, it's a lack word. It's a lack word. Yeah. 
So they had all this abundance. They only lacked one thing. They had all of this abundance. They lacked one thing. And here's what happened. Satan said, the serpent was more subtle than the beast of the field, which the Lord God had made. He said unto the woman, yea, hath God said, ye shall not eat. eat of every. So he added the word not and eliminated the word freely. Does that change the meaning? Absolutely. Yes. Yes. Now, here's what the woman did. The woman said, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden. So he changed the word, and then he got Eve to change the word. Never allow culture to change the meaning, the real meaning of words, because when culture changes the real meaning of words, that is Satan operating at his like most efficient level. Why? Because he knows when you change what you say, it changes what you see. Come on now. Come on now. And so how we describe a thing, yeah. how we describe a thing is going to determine um, how we think about that thing. So here's what happened. The woman said, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden. She took out every end freely. That changed the meaning. But of the tree that's in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. God never said, don't touch it. But see, here's what Satan wanted. See, Eve thought she had to touch it in order to be, to be tempted. She thought she had to touch it in order to eat it. But Satan said, I'm not even going to get you to touch it. He said, I just want you, I want to get you to pay attention to it. I want, I just want you to look at it. I just want you to look at the tree. Give it some attention. Why? Because Satan knows that where attention goes, intention follows. Mm -hmm. Where attention goes, intention follows. So if you set your attention on something, it won't be long before you'll set your intention on that thing. Yep. So watch what happens. In order for Adam and Eve, they had way more abundance than they had lack, but in order for them, in order for them to get to the thing they lacked, they had to go past all of their abundance to get to the thing they they lack. They had to ignore all of their abundance Come on now. and focus on the thing they lacked. And focus on lack is the thing that perpetuates lack. So understand, understand that you asked me, you asked me what were some roadblocks? There was only one. My belief in the illusion in the illusion of limited resources. There are no limited resources. There are no, there are no limited, there's no limit to resources. There's only a limit to resourcefulness. A limit to resources can only exist when you lack resourcefulness to take the thing that you have and turn it into a resource. That's where the limitations come. So then you ask me, what were some of my fears? So I'm gonna say this, this is gonna shock you. I had no fears. Oh, by the way, neither do you. I'm going to tell you a couple of things people think they have that they don't have, okay? Mm -hmm. One, people think they're afraid. They think they're afraid of rejection. They think they're afraid of failure. They, I've got a fear of failure. I've got a fear of rejection. I have a fear of it not working. I have a fear. No, you don't. Another thing you don't have, people say, I have a procrastination problem. There's not a single solitary human being on earth that has a procrastination problem, not one. Because procrastination is not a problem. Procrastination is the symptom of a problem. And it's the same symptom. It's, it's the symptom of the same problem that people actually have when they think they are having fear. See, what most people don't realize is fear can be good and serve you. See, fear can be good and serve you. What does that mean? Well, Fear is caution over a real and present danger. I remember one day, if you can imagine this, I don't know. Uh, what, what part of the world are you, are you in, Dan? 
I'm in Malaysia. Malaysia. You're in Malaysia. Okay, you're in Malaysia. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Do you have alligators there? Yes, we do. Yes. Oh, you do. do. Okay. So yeah. if you can imagine, I'm at the golf course. I'm riding my Segway. Mm -hmm. And I'm looking at my phone. You think it's a bad idea to text and drive? It's a really bad idea to read text while you're riding a Segway, right? So I'm riding my yep. Segway. And I all of a sudden, I'm going around the corner from the fourth green to the fifth tee box. And I come around the corner. I'm looking at my phone. And I look up. There is a 15-foot alligator laying across the cart path. Like, if I wouldn't have looked up, I would have hit it. Yep. That would not have been good for either one of us, right? Yes. So, so, so... um. I see this alligator and I'm like, oh, and I stop and then I back away slowly and then it gets up and it just kind of moseys across and goes in the water, right? Well, my fear of alligators saved me. Why? Because you don't want to run over an alligator with a Segway. It doesn't, it doesn't make for a very good uh, fairy tale ending. But when I have, when I have fear, <gasps> my heart was racing, right? Right. My heart was palpitating. Shortness of breath. I, I mean, my hands were sh shaking. Right. All of those things were a reaction to this real alligator that was there. Right. So in order for you to have fear, there must be a real and present danger. If there is no real and present danger, then there is no fear. Fear cannot exist in the absence of a real and present danger. Now, the feelings that I had when I had fear, heart racing, like hands shaking, yep. <laughs> shortness of breath, that can ex I can have that in the absence of a real and present danger, but I can't have fear. So if you understand, the, and I don't want to rant too long, so you, but if, I think this is going to really answer the question wholly if, you, awesome. if that's okay. It's awesome. Just go for it, Ryan. Okay. Just, so just go understand, understand that human beings do things for one reason and one reason only. What is that? That's because they feel like it. So human beings do things for one reason and one reason only, because they feel like it. So they think that they do things because of facts. But man, you don't understand. The fact is, I tried that already and it didn't work. No, no, no. That's a, I'm going to tell you something right now. Like, if you're taking notes, this is a writer downer. If your attitude is right, the facts don't matter. What? Mm -hmm. Sure, they matter. No, they don't. Mm -hmm. Facts don't matter. The facts are totally irrelevant because the fact is just, it's just a fact. A fact is just a factor. That's all it is. It's a factor. But most people don't realize that fact, the facts are contributing factors. So, and I'm not going to go into that right now, but so what happens is you, as a human being, you observe this fact. And then you either respond to it or you have a reaction to it. And you, what, when you perceive it, what you do with it after you perceive it is going to determine whether you have a smile on your face or a frown. Mm -hmm. Okay? And what, what do you do when you perceive a fact? The, your boss calls you in and fires you. You launch a campaign and nobody buys. You have seven strategy sessions in a row and everybody says no. Wh whatever it is. You write a new book. Nobody buys it. Whatever. It doesn't matter. Here's what happens. You put a frame around the fact, and that frame is called focus. And where does the focus exist? The focus exists in your head. And you focus on certain aspects of the fact by putting a frame around it, and that frame is a focus that gives you definition, tells you what the fact means. The, but the fact is this happened. No, the fact doesn't matter because the, the fact is we were in recession in 2008. That's right. 
And that's why I lost everything. Right. But while you lost everything, some people became made billions. But it was the same fact that caused all of that. The difference was you had a different frame than them. During the Great Depression, some people lost their fortune and jumped out of third story windows. Other people made a fortune. What was the difference? The difference was the focus they put around the fact. And the focus is some people start businesses and become monumental, monumentally successful overnight. Some people start businesses and they won't have success for 14 years like me. What's the difference? The difference is the focus, period. Right. So the focus in my head is more important than the fact in my experience. The fact is just the fact. The fact is irrelevant. I mean, it's not irrelevant because the fact contributes. It contributes to the situation, but it does not control the situation. My focus controls the situation. So I get a focus in my head and that focus is going to manifest itself into a belief. So I am going to assign meaning to that. I'm going to use my focus to assign meaning to the fact. And that's going to be my belief. And when I have this belief, belief is a coin, and it's a two-sided coin. If it lands on heads, belief manifests itself as faith. If it lands on tails, belief manifests itself as doubt. Mm -hmm. When belief manifests itself as faith, when I have this belief, most people don't realize that faith and doubt are both belief. See, faith is belief in the outcome I desire. Doubt is belief in the outcome I don't desire, but they're both belief. People say, do you have faith or do you, I mean, do you have have faith or um, do you, I mean, do you have, they say, do you have belief or do you have doubt? Well, faith is doubt. I mean, belief is doubt. Belief is doubt. Faith is doubt. There's belief in the opposite side of the same coin, right? And so when I have this belief that my focus in my head creates, the focus in my head is going to, is a traveling salesman. So that focus in my head is going to create a feeling in fact, I'm gonna I'm gonna erase that and write it down a little lower. That focus in my head is gonna create a feeling in my heart. So the focus in my head creates a feeling in my heart, and the feeling in my heart is gonna be determined by the belief. If the belief is faith, and I'm I'm focused on the outcome I desire, then the feeling in my heart is going to be anticipation. What is anticipation? Anticipation is a sense of certainty about a desirable outcome. That's what anticipation is. And what does anticipation do? Anticipation gives me present energy based on a future outcome that is desirable to me. So when I am anticipating something, that anticipation, my expectation that this is going to work, it energizes me in the present, right? But if the focus in my head manifests as a belief called doubt, then that doubt's going to create the feeling in my heart of anxiety. And anxiety is what people actually have when they think they're having fear. So you ask me, what are some of my roadblocks and fears, right? I didn't have any fears. I had anxieties, but I didn't have fears. And so fear and anxiety feel the same, but they're not the same. Why? Do you remember what I told you? Anxiety, anxiety is caution over a real and present danger, right? I mean, fear. Fear is caution over a real and present danger. Anxiety, on the other hand, anxiety is caution over a future imagined danger. And that's why most people go through life thinking they're afraid when they're actually anxious. Because there's no real and present danger. In order for you to have fear, there has to be a real and present danger. But in order for you to have anxiety, you have to, be, you have, to have a future imagined danger. So you, you're like when you cannot move, people, when, people have, when people, think that, people think they have a procrastination problem, procrastination is just the manifestation 
of the problem of anxiety. You're expecting mm -hmm. an outcome you don't desire. And because you're expecting an outcome you don't desire, that expecting that outcome that you don't desire won't allow you to take action right now because your expectation is that it will not work. In fact, people ask themselves, anxiety-inducing, anxiety-inducing, anticipation-killing questions like, what if it doesn't work? Mm. That is called a disempowering question. You're asking yourself a question that robs you of your power. Oh. What if it doesn't work is one of the worst questions you can ever ask yourself. Instead, ask yourself an empowering question. How awesome is this going to be when it does work? Wow. Wonder how long it'll take me to buy my dream house when this works. Oh. Hmm. It's going to, it's, or make a statement. It's going to be awesome when I can drive my dream car, dream car because this works. Awesome. And it's all about, you say, you say what, uh, you asked me the question about what's something we can do to make sure our voice is heard. One of the most important things we do, we can do to make our voice heard is we've got to make sure we hear our voice saying the right thing. Well, how do I make my voice say the right thing? All I have to do is figure out what God said to me about me and say the same thing to me about me that God says to me about me. And then my voice is going to be empowering. Okay. So, so, so anxiety. So if I have the right focus in my head, then I'll have the right feeling in my heart. And when a focus in my head creates faith, then the feeling in my heart is going to be anticipation and it's going to energize me to act. Writers say, I've got writer's block. You don't have writer's block. You're just expecting the book not to sell. Myron, I'm, I'm, I'm stuck. I don't know what to do in my marketing. You're not stuck. You're just expecting your marketing not to work. Wow. Like this is real talk, right? And so yeah. the focus in our head creates a feeling in our heart and the feeling in our heart creates, okay, Wait for it. Wait for it. The feeling in our heart creates a function in our hands. And the function in our hand is going to always be determined by the feeling in our heart. And the feeling in our heart is always determined by the focus in our head. So if we will make sure we are intentional about our focus, if we will make sure we're intentional about our focus, we will always be inspired in our feelings. And then we'll be able to implement with function, right? So what is the function? Well, it depends. If the feeling in your heart, if the fo focus in your head creates a belief called faith, then the feeling in your heart is going to create anticipation, which is going to produce a function in your hand called power. Now you have power. You have the power to act. And the power to act is the power to produce, right? But... If the focus in your head is causing you to have a feeling in your heart, I mean, if the focus in your head is a belief that manifests as doubt, then that doubt is going to produce anxiety. And anxiety causes, remember I said anticipation causes me to gain present energy from a future outcome that's desirable to me? Mm -hmm. And anxiety causes me to waste present energy on a future outcome that is undesirable to me. So what I'm doing is I'm literally sitting here wasting energy, worrying about the thing I was working on not working. And so now that I'm worried about it not working, I stop working on it. And because I stopped working on it, now it can't work. Come on. So now. worrying about something not working actually makes it not work. So what happens is anxiety now produces a function in our hand called powerlessness or paralysis. This is how it really works. So think about this. If this all, if all of this is true, and it is, if all of this is true, 
then what that means is what I've got to figure out how to do, I got to figure out how to fix my focus to make sure my focus is always on point when my attention is always on the aspect of the outcome I desire. Because <laughs> when, I'm, when my focus is right, I'm going to have faith. And faith is going to create a feeling called anticipation. Anticipation is going to give me um, a function called power. And now I'm going to be so productive because I'm always taking action in the direction of my desires. When I'm worried, well, what if it doesn't work? What if it doesn't work as well as I think it would? What if? What are people going to think? We have all this chatter going on in our heads, and we think we have fear, but we don't have any fear. There's no fear. There's no real and present danger. What we really have is anxiety. And so once I master my focus, my focus will master my feelings. Mm -hmm. So what I've got to figure out how to do, I don't have to figure out, if I want to get in shape, I don't have to figure out how to make myself work out. I have to figure out how to make myself focus on the benefits of working out. Yes. I don't have to get, I, I don't, I, I have to, I have to, why do I want to focus on the benefits of working out? Because when I focus on the benefits of working out, that's going to cause me to feel like working out because I'm only going to work out when I feel like it. Mm -hmm. I'm only going to buy when I feel like buying. So that means when I'm selling something, I don't need to try to get anybody to buy, buy or don't buy. I have no desire. I am never trying to get somebody to buy when I'm selling, which I think is one of the uniquenesses about the way I sell. I don't try to get people to buy. You know what I do? I create an environment that causes them to feel like buying. And then all I have to do is move out of their way. You're trying to get them to buy. So you're using all this pressure from the outside. And the more pressure you use from the outside, the more they resist. Right? Mm -hmm. But I don't use any pressure from the outside. I get them to focus on something that causes them to feel good about buying. And then they buy. And all I have to do is move out of the way. So everything you desire to happen in your life, create a feeling that will cause you to move toward that thing. Everything you desire for somebody else to do, create a feeling in them that will cause them to move toward them the thing you desire them to move towards. See, people talk about the law of attraction. You've heard of the law of attraction, right? So you got yep. the law of attraction. See, it's so fascinating. People will jump to conclusions because, in fact, that's the only exercise some people get, right? <laughs> and so you have these people and they'll say, well, you got to practice the law of attraction. Just think good thoughts. Right. And I'm going to tell you something. This is what I believe. Um, I believe that 99% of the people talk about the law of attraction. have no idea how it works. So if the law, of, uh, I'm, I'm going to say this too. If the law of attraction is real, it has to be a biblical principle. If it's not real, if it's not a biblical principle, it's not real. So what will happen is a lot of, Bible believers, Christians, people who go to church, whatever you want to call it, whatever you call it, refer to yourself as, um, they will say, well, because, because these people talking about the law of attraction, they don't believe in God, so the law of attraction can't be, isn't real. Well, the people who don't believe in God believe in oxygen. Does that make oxygen not real? They, mm -hmm. they believe in water. Does that make water not real? You don't, I, if I'm going to examine the truth about something, I'm not going to start the examination at the person speaking about it because they may they may be speaking about a true thing that they don't know the full truth about, right? So, so Christian people say, oh, the law of attraction, that's just new age. Well, if it's real, it's got to be in the Bible. And if it's not in the Bible, then it's not real, okay? So people say, you just think good thoughts and good things will happen to you. Well, that's not how it works. That's That's a half truth, which is why a lot of people don't like it. Just feel good. Well, here's the reality. When I am create the right feeling, right, it gives me the ability to act. Faith without works is dead. Mm -hmm. So it gives me the ability to act. When I have the ability to act, then I produce the thing. And I think that the good feeling produced the thing. Well, the good feeling produced the power 
it the feeling produced the function that gave me the ability to do it and then when i had the ability to do it see what faith can do people say well you can speak it into existence i don't believe that either so i believe that only god can speak things into existence but i believe that we can speak faith into a situation where doubt used to exist and when i when i speak faith into the place in inside of me where doubt used to exist or inside of you where doubt used to exist then now we can take an action in faith that we could not take in doubt Right. So the law, think about it like this. The law of attraction is actually the law of at action. Because when I have a good feeling, it gives me the ability to be at action. And when I take an action, when I take an action, what is um, what is the law of polarity? It's a physics principle. What's the law of polarity? For every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. So when I have the ability to act on a situation, that situation now has to react to my action. That's how the law of attraction really works. Anyway. Mind-blowing. That's all I got to say. I'm glad it's helpful. Uh, it's it's just over-delivering from one question and just breaking it down to so much value, so much insight, so much... I, I'll say so much faith as well. I mean, to take you to this level of uh, understanding God's Word and just putting it into real-life situation, real-life business. Yeah, that's that's so awesome. Thank if you I'm, so much. If I, if, I, if I may be so bold. Yes, People think the Bible is a book about religion, but the Bible is not a book about religion. But by I said it before, it's a book about a king, a kingdom, mm -hmm. a royal family, and the culturalization of a foreign land. Now, if you, when you read the Bible, if you will stop looking for religion, <clears throat> and you'll start looking for principles, like laws that govern everything, if you'll start looking for precepts, These are expressions of those principles. You start looking for uh, practices. That's what should I be doing? You'll start looking for um, prayers and prophecies. Uh, I said four, four. I think five comes after four. Prophecies. And um, this is one of my favorites, patterns. Principles, precepts, practices, prayers, prophecies, patterns, and um, there's one more. Wow. Principles, Bible's a book of patterns, principles, precepts, practices, prayers, prophecies, um, and number seven, proclamations. Oh, I know which one I left out. I'm going to, and I said proclamations is the same thing, but I'm going to use a different word. Promises. The reason these things are in the Bible, it's a book of principles, precepts, practices, prayers, prophecies, patterns, and promises that give us the ability to make predictions about outcomes in the future that give me the ability to position myself in the path Give me the ability to position myself. Give me the ability to position myself in the path of prosperity. 
because I can know the outcome before I take put the input. So if I know the output before I take the input, then I can position myself to benefit from that outcome. That is what prosperity is. Prosperity is positioning myself in the path of prosperity, understanding the outcome before I take the action so I can know what action to take. The Bible is the book that gives us the ability to do this. I've had several people who are in Russell's inner circle who are good, very good friends of mine say, Myron, you have a sense of certainty unlike anybody I've ever seen. Do you, can you teach that? I said, no, I can't teach it, but I can tell you why I have it. They said, mm -hmm. why do you have it? I said, because I already know what's going to happen. Because the oh. scripture is full of if you do this, then this will happen. If you do this, then that will happen. If you do this, then this will happen. And so if I know what God says, if you do this, this will happen. I know that this has to happen. Because the essence, the the essence of it's it's so interesting, and I know you didn't ask me this, but I'll I'll give it here's here, like a lot of, and I know people are listening to me right now, and some people think I'm crazy, which is cool. I'm, I can live with that. I don't need you not to think I'm crazy. I'm okay. I'm not, I don't, I'm not attempting to get anybody to think anything. I'm just, I'm I'm sharing truths that I've discovered that have worked well in my life, right? And some people are like, I've never heard anything like this before in my life, right? Well. One of the things that I, I've discovered is there are four levels of learning and four levels of teaching. And so if you understand there are four levels of learning, so the lowest level of learning is tactical. It's tactics. Tactics are what do I do? Tactics are the what. This is what most people, when they come to a coach, they think this is what they're here to learn. Just tell me what to do. But they don't realize if they know what to do and they've not yet become the person who can do it, they're not going to do it anyway. This is the lowest level of, in, in fact... I'm going to move this over here, make it a little smaller. And just like there are four levels of value, just like there are four levels of value, there are four levels of learning, right? And four levels of teaching. So tactics are what, right? And then the next level is strategies. Strategies are why and when. Why do I do this and when should I do it? That's what strategy is, right? What do, when do I do it and why do I do it? And strategy speaks to next moves, right? So I make this move because I need to make this move. I make this move because I'm setting myself up for the next move. That's strategy, right? Mm -hmm. And then you have principles. <laughs> and principles are, principles are why, why the, the tactics and the strategies work. They're the laws that govern the tactics and the strategies. So principles help me understand better why tactics and strategies work. And then the, the highest level of teaching and learning is called essence. Which, by the way, if you a person can disagree with me, and that's okay, right? I don't like I am not running for office, so I don't need any consensus, right? So I'm just gonna tell you what I believe, and this is what I've discovered, and it's worked well for me. And if it doesn't work well for you, you know, I did my best, right? Yes. <laughs> okay. So, so essence, essence is, essence is, um, the who behind the why. What does that mean? Okay. Essence is the essence of everything. This is why I use the Bible when I teach. The essence is the character, the nature and the intention of God. When my character, nature, and intention lines up with God's, now all of this stuff falls into place. Now, when I say the character, nature, and intention of God, well, what does that mean? Well, 
one of the reasons I tell people that every principle that I teach in business comes from the principle. If I hear somebody say something and it sounds really good, the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to go back to the Bible and see if it's true. If it's true in there, if it's true in there, then I take I'll take it and run with it. If something somebody says contradicts what's in the Bible, they're making it up. And I know they're making it up. And so I can just throw it away. And, and you may agree with that or disagree with that. That's not my point. My point is for me, I throw it away. Right. And so character, nature and intention of intention of God. What is the character of God? The character of God is that he is holy. Now, when I say holy, people say holy. They, they really, no, it's not really it's not a religious word. It, holy literally means separate. So here's what here's what here's what holy means. He is the one and only. He is not one of many. He's the one and only. That's what it means when I say he's holy. There's nobody yeah. like him. There's never been another. There will never be another. He's the one and only. He's the only self-existent, self-sufficient, self-contained, self-satisfied being in existence. He's, the, he's holy. That's his character. What's his nature? His nature is that he cannot. So that's an interesting word to say about God, right? He cannot. He cannot. He cannot lie. So true. So how do I know he cannot lie? Because he said he cannot lie. Right? Yeah. I know he said cannot lie because he refers to himself not as the God who will not lie or the God who does not lie, but the God who cannot lie. More on that in a minute. And then what is the intention of God? The intention of God is goodness. Good. That's the intention. So if while I'm doing while I'm doing the tactics and strategies and the principles, if I apply like if I apply walking in the way God created me, here's what I know about me. I am the one and only Myron Golden. You're the one and only Daniel Doss. So if you think about that, like I don't have to be in competition with anybody. So the fact that I am doing my thing means I don't have to be jealous of you. I don't have to be worried about you coming and taking some of my people. I don't have any people. I have people that I was put here to serve and I will serve them. And if you serve them and I serve them, that doesn't, that's not a bad thing, right? Mm -hmm. Right. So, so, so I am the one and only Myron Golden who can do Myron Golden's assignment that Myron Golden was created for. So I don't have to worry about competition. I don't have to try to be better than anybody. I don't have to feel like I'm worse than anybody. I can just be who I am and live my life and be very thankful that I have an assignment, right? Um, my nature is, when my nature aligns with God's nature, God's nature, that means I can't lie. I'm going to do what I said I'm going to do. And if I say I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it. And if I can't do it, I'm not going to say I can do it, right? So that's the nature and then the intention is good. So my intention toward you, my intention toward the guys who cut my grass and the people who clean my pool, and my intention towards the bank, the, the banks that loan me money for deals, and and say, why do you borrow money for deals? Because I can use the bank's money cheaper than I can use my own, right? Mm -hmm. So 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 if my intention towards them is my intention toward my wife and my children and my brothers and the server at the restaurant, if my intention towards everybody I come in contact with is good, then I. I'm operating at the highest level. If I'm running my business from the essence, <laughs> excuse me, from the essence and the principles and the strategies and the tactics, then my business, like, I don't have to worry about what's going to happen next. It doesn't, what, you know what's going to happen next? Whatever's supposed to happen next. I don't have to manufacture, I don't have to manufacture an outcome. See, output, output is always the result of input. If I'm not getting the output I desire, then I don't need to try. I don't need to work harder at producing a different outcome output. What I need to do is I need to change the input. Right. So character, nature and intention of God. So that's why I teach people the Bible. And I tell you, look, you want you want to never run out of content ever. Become a diligent student of the practices, principles, promises, precepts, prayers and prophecies in the Bible. And you will never run out of content. Your content will be better than anybody else's content because you're just teaching. You're like you're teaching people directly from the source of all truth.
So this, this is the last thing I'm going to cover on truth. Remember I said God cannot lie? So this is the word. This is the word for truth in Hebrew. Hebrew. The Hebrew language is both phonetic and it's symbolic and it's constructive. When I say constructive, I mean like if I write this, what is, what is that? I just wrote on there. What is that water. Water, water, right? But I didn't yeah. say water. I said H2O yeah. and you knew I was talking about water. Why? Yeah. I told you the components. And when I showed you the components, you knew the substance, right? Well, mm -hmm. Hebrew letters are like that as well. So this letter represents God. This re represents the might of the ocean. So I'm just going to put mighty. And this represents this represents a cross or a covenant. So that's a covenant. So the word for truth is God's mighty covenant. Well, what is a covenant? A covenant is agreement between two or more individuals based upon a mutual love and trust. A, a contract is not a co covenant. A covenant is not a contract. A contract is an agreement between two or more individuals based upon a mutual distrust. Daniel, let's sign this contract. So if you don't give me what I you told me you're going to give me, then I can take you to court and make you give it to me. If I don't give you what I told you I'm going to give you, then you can take me to court and make sure I give it to you. Mm -hmm. That's a contract. But a covenant is, Daniel, I'm going to give everything I have. I'm going to give my time, my effort, my energy, my resources, and my very life if necessary to protect you and yours. That's a covenant. If I don't, mm -hmm. And then when they came, when these two people came to enter a covenant, they would kill an animal and cut it in pieces. Yeah. After they killed the animal and cut it in pieces, this person, they'd be standing here back to back, right? So this is back to back. And what they would do is they walk around in a circle. This person would walk around in a circle. They'd come back in the middle face to face. And so they'd be face to face now. And when they come back in the middle face to face, they take a knife in their left hand, cut their right hand, put their hands together, bind it together with a, a knife. I mean, bind it together with a rope. And they would exchange blood. They become covenant brothers. My blood becomes your blood. Your blood becomes my blood. My, we exchange covenant names. My name would become Myron Daniel Golden. Your name would become Daniel Myron uh, Daniel Myron Das. And so what would happen when we enter that covenant together? We we'd be swearing on our own lives. And we'd say, if I don't keep my word to you and give all of my time, my resources, my 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 very life if necessary, if I don't give that to protect you and yours, may what happened to this animal happen to me. So when it says God's mighty covenant, that's God's covenant with man is truth. So if God doesn't keep his word, he's promised to die the death of a mutilated animal. This, this word, this letter represents God. If you separate God from the truth, this word right here is the word death. If you separate, attempt to separate God from the truth, all you have left is death. But if God separates himself from the truth, then God himself must die. Oh. Now, that's powerful. This is the last thing I'm going to show you. This Hebrew letters are also numbers, 1 through 400. Mm -hmm. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80, 90, 100, 200, 300, 400. There are 22 letters, right? This letter represents is the first letter in the Hebrew alphabet. This is the letter represents the number 40. It's the middle letter in the Hebrew alphabet. This letter is the last letter in the Hebrew alphabet. It represents the number 400. If you add 400 plus 40 plus 1, it equals 441. If you take 4 plus 4, it's 8 plus 1 equals nine. Nine is the number for truth. Remember I told you earlier, every number has significance. Eight is the number of abundance. Nine is the number of truth. Why is it significant that nine is the number of truth? Because all numbers have to resolve. When you reduce numbers down to a single digit number, every single digit, every double digit number, triple digit number, quadruple digit number, quintuple digit number that's greater than nine, when you reduce it down, it will always reduce back down to nine. What does that show us? Everything has to answer to the truth. Everyone has to answer to the truth. Everything has to go back to the truth. That's why it's good when you're starting out to go straight to the truth to find out if what the person is saying is truth. Here's what I mean. Nine times one equals nine. Nine times two 
equals 18. 1 plus 8 equals 9. 9 times 3 equals 27. 2 plus 7 equals 9. 9 times, nine times 4 equals 36. 3 plus 6 equals 9. And you can do this all day. You can do 5-digit numbers, 20-digit numbers. If you keep adding the numbers together until it becomes a um, double-digit number, you keep adding the digits and the answer together until it becomes a double-digit number, that double-digit number will always reduce back. You add those two digits together, it will always turn out to be 9. That's not all, though. Daniel, let me ask you a question. How old are you? 33. How old? 33? Okay. Turning 34 this year. Yeah. What's 3? What You said 43? No, no. Turning 34 in October. Yeah, 33. Okay. So what's 3 plus 3 is? Six. Six. What's six? What's thirty-three minus six? Twenty-seven, right? Twenty-seven. What's two yeah. plus seven? Nine. Nine. Yeah. Okay. Wow. Wait, it gets it gets better. Wow. When's your birthday? When's your birthday? Of is October the ninth. Ten nine. What year? Uh, eighty-seven. Nineteen eighty-seven. Eighty-seven. Ten nine eighty-seven. One plus yeah. two is. I mean, yeah. one plus. One ten plus ten plus zeros. I mean, one plus zero is one. One plus nine is ten. Ten plus eight is eighteen. Eighteen. Eighteen plus seven is twenty-five. Yeah. Right. What's two plus five? Seven. Seven. What's twenty-five minus seven? Eighteen. Eighteen. Yeah. Eight. What's one plus eight? Nine. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Everything has to come back, and everything goes back to the truth. There's no other number that works like this. I would go into detail. I'm just going to say this. There's a word in Hebrew called sheker. Sheker reduces down to six. Six is the number of falsehood. Falsehood. What is a six? A six is an upside down nine. What is a falsehood? An upside down truth. Mm -hmm. Wow. Wow. <laughs> So anyway, come on, huh? <laughs> <laughs> I know you weren't wow. expecting all of that, but I, I yes. like you sometimes I get bored and I can't stop. Please, please. <laughs> Is it possible to go for two more questions, or please it's, do? It's I'll, I'll make my answer shorter. I promise. I hope. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. <laughs> so, I mean, in regards to all of this, which part of the Bible or Bible story that gives you the confidence to publish? Could you just share maybe which one or part two of the things? Bible? Or Bible story gives me the confidence to publish. Um, which really touches your heart. Or, or okay, gives you I'll tell you. It's it's yeah. a passage about Solomon. My mm -hmm. business, my entire business model is based on King Solomon's business model, which is in the Bible. So interestingly enough, God comes to Solomon in a dream, and I man, I I want to answer this the long way. I'm going to do it the short way. God comes to Solomon in a dream. I, I wish I had time to go into why God came to Solomon in a dream in oh. the first place. God comes to Solomon in a dream and said, Solomon, ask what I shall give thee. In other words, I'm going to give you anything you desire. Tell me what you desire. Solomon said, I can only think of one thing. Give me a wise and understanding heart to discern judgment. Now, here's the actual prayer that Solomon prayed in our modern day language. He said, dear Lord, give me the wisdom to do the thing you put me on this earth to do in a way that pleases you and serves the people you put me here to serve, which means Solomon realized he was here to please God and serve people. And so he prayed for the wisdom to please God and serve people. That'd be a great prayer for all of you to pray every day. So God said, okay, I'm going to do what you've asked me for. I'm going to give you the wisdom, a wise and understanding heart. And then he said this, so that there will be none before you like you and none after you like you amongst all the kings. You're going to be the one and only. Remember, we talked about that earlier, right? When we were talking about essence. I'm going to make you so that you will be the best of the best. You can forget about the rest. So the very next chapter tells us that Solomon exceeded all men for wealth and for riches. 
He was wiser than all men. And then it starts naming all these people. Wiser than all the men of the East. Wiser than all the men of Egypt. Wiser than all these people. He was the wisest man on earth. Okay. And then it said Solomon, Solomon wrote a, his, his 3,000, a thousand songs. He wrote a thousand songs. His proverbs were, a, his pro, no, he wrote 3,000 songs. His proverbs were a thousand and five. I mean, he wrote 3,000 Proverbs. His songs were 1,005. It says then he, this, by the way, this is before Facebook. This is before Instagram. This is before newspapers. He wrote 3,000 Proverbs. His songs were 1,005. He spoke of the almond tree and the hyssop and the, the um, um, I can see it, the cypress tree. He spoke of all these trees and of animals and four-footed beasts and creeping things. So he, he, he published about all these different things. And then it says, and Solomon's fame went throughout all of the earth so that all the people on the earth came to Solomon and paid him to learn his wisdom. All the kings of the earth came to Solomon and paid him to learn his wisdom. So all the, and all of the kings of the earth sent their people to come and learn from Solomon. Think about this. It was Solomon's ability to publish the wisdom that God put in his heart that attracted his audience to him, which, by the way, reminds me of a New Testament verse, which is, uh, Yeshua said, my, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. Well, guess what? When your sheep hear your voice, the people who are supposed to follow you hear your voice, you will know them and then they will follow you. But if you don't let them hear your voice, they won't even know you don't, that you exist. Final thoughts do you have to help motivate the audience to get started or take their publishing to the next level like you have done? Yeah, um, um, the message that you don't speak, the world can't hear. And if they don't hear it, like, what? How how are they going to be? How are they going to prepare? Do you understand that you were sent here to produce outcomes and to be the voice that certain people are supposed to hear? If you are silent because you're have anxiety, or you're silent because you think your voice has no value. You are robbing the world of something that only you can give them. Let your voice be heard. Wow. Thank you so much, Marion. Thank you so much. And before you leave, maybe could you just share something awesome, something, uh, this challenge that I have also attended last week. Maybe oh. could you share more on that, please? Because I oh, definitely sure. want all the audience to go and join this challenge because yeah. it's sure. mind-blowing. It is mind-blowing. So last week we had the Make More Offers Challenge, the first round one right we're going to do it again the 29th um the 29th of march through the 2nd yeah. of april um and like i i'm i do high ticket offers my coaching programs start at fifty-five thousand dollars and go up to a million dollars and i created the the make more offers challenge because last year was a very trying and challenging year for a lot of people so i created the make more offers challenge to teach people how to get in the game and it was five days it was an hour a day and we basically broke down offer create like uh, lead generation offers, um, core product offers, high ticket offers, continuity offers, and showed you strategies for each one of those types of offers. And then on the last day, we put it all together and showed you like this is how you go out and you launch your business, right? And you can get a ticket for the Make More Offers Challenge for as little as $97, right? And for that, we give you a bunch of bonuses for that $97 that are worth more than the like $97, literally. Uh, so you get the, the make more offers challenge. Then you get, um, you get the, um, uh, the, the general admission is $97. The VIP is 
$297. You get more bonuses. Plus, if you're a VIP, you get to attend the Make More Offers Challenge on Zoom, where you actually get to interact with me personally. And if you do the general admission, you get to watch on Facebook while I teach. And uh, either way, it's going to be valuable. Do what you can do. But the Make More Offers Challenge will change your life for the rest of your life. So hopefully, for your sake and for the sake of your business, we'll see you there. It will transform your business. That's so, so awesome. Thank you, Daniel. Hey, Daniel here again. And I just want to thank you for watching this video. And like I promised, I would like to give you an awesome gift. But before that, did you know the fastest way to reach the next level in your online business is not by cracking your head for ideas, going live every day on social media and all that. The fastest way we discovered is by interviewing experts that are in the niche that you're in. What I mean by that? Have you heard of this phrase? where your network is your net worth. I'm sure you did, but if you have not, hear me out for a second. The real question is, how do we connect with these elite entrepreneurs and marketers? It took me a while to understand this, but with a lot of researching and studying, I finally discovered that most of them have this one pattern in common. Most of them started their entrepreneurship journey by asking or interviewing experts before they became one. And that's why having an interview show is so powerful. It does not only connect you with these experts, but it also builds your authority, trust, and credibility with your audience. And they will be willing to buy your offer without hard selling. Amazing, right? So here is my awesome gift to you. If you're looking to connect with your dream experts with a powerful interview show, I have this special short training that will help you with all the strategies that you need to launch one. All you have to do is click the link in the description and that will direct you to my free group where the free training is. Over there, you'll be able to connect with me and ask me any questions that you have and also join me in live interview session that is ongoing every single month. You will be able to find other free trainings that are in there that will help you in your entrepreneurship journey as well. Hope you enjoy it and I can't wait to see you in there. Once again, thank you so much. Till the next one, I'm Daniel Das signing up. Goodbye for now.